The midterms are traditionally a big challenge for the party in power. Although Democrats dominate Westchester politics, we can't take our registration advantage for granted. Polls show close races statewide and in competitive congressional districts like New York 17, which includes Westchester. We're joined by two experts on the New York political landscape to talk about the race at the very top of the ticket, the race for governor, a matchup between Kathy Hochul, our current governor, a Democrat, and Lee Zeldin, the Republican congressman from Long Island. Our guests are Jake Delamani, partner at Mercury Public Affairs and a Democratic strategist, and John Tomlin, Managing Director at Actum. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. All right, so let's get started. Recent polls show a tightening race between Governor Hochul and Lee Zeldin. Some notable ones show it to be a single-digit race and others a larger Hochul lead. How close do you think the election is? Jake, let's start with you. Um, I would say, look, it's closer than it should be and that people would want it to be, given where we are politically in the state. We haven't had a Republican statewide elected official in 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think the governor's in a better position than a lot of the hoopla would suggest over the last week or 10 days or so. You know, the the last one of the last public polls that came out was the Quinnipiac poll that had um, the governor only four points ahead of Zeldin, which when you take the margin of error to account, you're talking about a point and a half or something like that. But the, there there have been there's some issues with some of the methodology in that survey in terms of how they weighted likely turnout by party. Um, and then uh, some folks I'm talking to in the governor's orbit, their own internal polling is showing a, uh, a more pronounced lead. That said, it's still not Andrew Cuomo style numbers from his three gubernatorial uh, races. And it is a cause for concern because even if Kathy Hochul, who has $50 million to spend and is the top Democrat in the state, if she's in a position where you know, her numbers are not what we are used to, maybe we've been spoiled, but if they're not what we are used to seeing, uh, what does that then mean for the down ballot races, folks running for Congress, for state Senate, for um, you know, other down ballot offices in, in marginal areas? And that's a cause not for panic, but a cause for concern and is a, is a should be a loud and clear clarion call that people need to not take anything for granted and spend the last two weeks getting very active. John, what's your take? Yeah, I think, look, Jake's point about down ballot races is a really important one to consider. Um, what we've really seen in in the public polls that have been released is um, really a, a, a lack of enthusiasm, a decline in uh, support for Hochul and a surge in support for Zeldin. With that said, the permutations for how Hochul loses and Zeldin wins are not in Zeldin's favor. This is still New York. Um, you know, what doesn't work for Zeldin's favor is that the suburbs are close. The problem for Hochul is that the suburbs are close, right? And, um, you know, I think that's something that she needs to, um, you know, really manage and, and uh, you know, attack in these final weeks because um, it's not going to work for her politically to sort of limp across the finish line. She needs to, you know, she needs to make a statement with this win that she's the governor, that she has a mandate. Um, and, um, you know, uh, right now it's not trending in that direction. 
John, I'm glad you brought up the suburbs because I, I do want to talk about a little bit more about how the suburbs factor into the race. I mean, there's a general general feeling that Hochul is going to struggle on Long Island. It's uh, Zeldin's home turf, and it trended Republican in last year's election. How key is having a strong turnout right here in Westchester to a Hochul victory? I think it's vital. Um, you know, Westchester and the Hudson Valley have always been, uh, you know, a, a center of gravity um, in politics in New York State. Um, right. That's why a lot of candidates spend time here. Um, you know, we've got the majority leader of the state Senate from here. We've got, um, uh, you know, we, we've over the last you know couple decades flipped a Republican county over into a Democratic county in Westchester. Um, right. And, and um, uh, you know, so if we don't need to have any, you know, indication that that trend is is not continuing, you know, um, this needs to, you know, this needs to be a, a strong uh, democratic, um, uh, you know, region for statewide candidates. Um, it's vital. So, Jake, what about Westchester? How important is having a strong turnout in Westchester to this victory? Uh, I mean, I go, I echo what John said. Um, it is very important. You know, the suburbs are historically where candidates make or break their candidacy for statewide office, right? You know, about uh, in a general election, around 30-ish percent of the vote, a third of the vote is coming out of the five boroughs and about a quarter of the votes coming out of uh, Nassau, Suffolk, Westchester, Rockland, right? Like the immediate suburbs and where all the commuters live for the most part. And then the rest of the state is about 45%. But that those suburbs historically have been somewhat swing areas, right? Westchester, as John was alluding to, has become more blue over the last decade or so. But you have Nassau and Suffolk counties, which are still very marginal. They flip back and forth in Nassau in particular. Uh, and so, you know, Westchester being one of the, from a Democratic standpoint, better performing counties of the, of the you know, city suburban counties, um, that makes it very, very important to run the numbers up there because in a year that's bad for Democrats, which I think we can all agree, unfortunately, that's what the trend lines have been the last month or so, even though we had a little bit of a spike over the summer into early fall, um, it's just very, very vital that we do well there. And that also happens to be home to a lot of the type of voter that the party was trying to appeal to, especially in the in the wake of the Dobbs decision with the, the, the messaging on abortion. You know, independent suburban women was what the party was trying to do, not just in New York, but all over the country, right? Um, and it turns out that maybe some women in that category are not as uh, ginned up about voting based on that one issue, right? And the other, their top concerns seem to be more focused on public safety and pocketbook concerns. Um, and Westchester is a county where you have a lot of those types of voters. So very, very important uh, turf to, to wage uh, a battle in. And I would say the same thing also for Nassau and Suffolk counties. So conventional wisdom we're talking about is that, you know, New York is a solidly blue state. Given that, how is Zeldin a pro-gun, anti-choice, anti-democracy extremist, I would call him? He voted to overturn the 2020 presidential election, after all. How is it that this race is so close? Is it because of those pocketbook issues that, that he's hitting what people are most focused on? What's your take? Yeah. 
John, go ahead. I think it's a couple things. First and foremost, I think it's the environment. Um, you know, the national environment and the statewide environment, you know, sort of tracks with that, which is, you know, um, trending towards Republicans. Um, you know, I think that there, I, I, I think that just as a function of her having assumed the office the way she did in the wake of, um, you know, as the lieutenant governor, never having, never having really run um, um, you know, a, a, a statewide race aside from the lieutenant governor race, which a lot of people don't really pay much attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not, you know, she had to overcome a, a a hill of people not knowing who she is. And I still think she's struggling with that. Lee Zeldin is struggling with that as well. Um, you know, I, I, there's, you know, you look at the public polls, a lot of people don't know who he is either. So they haven't yet defined him as that Trump Republican that we all know he is. Like you said, he voted against, he voted to overturn the election. I mean, that's just, that's just wild. Um, you know, I think he's lying when he talks, when he was in what he says about abortion, that he doesn't have the ability to, um, uh, you know, overturn the Reproductive Health Act. Um, you know, he's been pretty clear, even as a state senator, um, where he stands on abortion, you know, it, so, um, uh, you know, when New Yorkers find that out, I think they're going to understand who he is, but I just don't think that they, you know, really, you know, have defined him yet. Jake, what's your take? Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's just a factor of the environment. I mean, when you have this kind of cliche at this point to say, but it's usually true, the, the party out of power from the White House tends to do better in midterm years, and that's exactly what we're seeing right now. It's unfortunate just because how bad the Republican Party has become. And I mean that like in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's unfortunate. And I, Kathy Hochul, though, is a victim just of the timing here in the environment we're in, where you have someone who is anti-choice, anti-sensible gun legislation, uh, anti-democracy, mm-hmm. um, anti-whatever else we can probably think of here that normal, sensible, sensible people would support. Um, the fact that he is doing better than Republican candidates, at least as of right now, polls are snapshots in time, but he's doing better than Republicans at this stage had have done in recent history is a reflection of just the environment we're in. And when you have, you know, the presidents of the same party and you have his approval rating in the between the mid 30s and low 40s over the last few months, that is going to affect anyone who's on his party's ticket. And that's what we're seeing. Let's talk about the issues for a moment. Uh, Crime is resonating as a campaign issue. Zeldin's entire campaign seems to revolve around it. Governor Hochul is finally going on offense when it comes to public safety. She's been talking about measures she's taken to keep guns off the street, the state's new red flag laws, which she signed, um, investments in law enforcement. Is this just a a little too little too late? Jake, you want to pick that back up? Sure. I mean, look, it's always kind of dangerous as a as a candidate to on one hand, you want to meet the voters where they are on the on the issues that are resonating most with them. On the other hand, you want to pick the issues where you can credibly speak to. And unfortunately, regardless of actual records, historically, Republicans, um, sorry, voters think the Republican Party does better on issues of crime and public safety than Democrats do, even though there's a billion and one examples where that, you know, has not been the case. 
Um, it is an issue top of mind. It's been top of mind for the last several years. I mean, every single, I do a lot of polling and, and the polling I've done, the, the public polling I've seen, et cetera, uh, crime has been like the number one, maybe number two issue for basically the last two, two and a half years, really since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and that's unfortunately looks like it's here to stay for the time being. I do think the governor needs to address it in certain ways. Um, I don't, I do not think she should make it the focal point of her campaign because you're doing two things. Again, you're talking, uh, if you do that, you're sucking all the oxygen out of the room for the one issue that you may still not be viewed that credibly on. Number one, number two, you should have a proactive message, not always be responding to what your opponent is throwing at you. Right. Um, I do think the governor, and this is not really just her campaign. This is the party as a whole focused in hindsight's 2020, so this is not a critique really, but focus too much on the choice issue at the expense of what we've known all along was at the top of the agenda for voters, for voters who aren't hardcore primary voting Democrats, right? And again, public safety was really there. And so there, she has, and the state has done things on public safety um, that she can point to um, but again, it's just once voters believe that you're the wrong person on that issue, it is tough to overcome that. John, what's your what's your view about that? Yeah, I, you know, um, Jake's right about, you know, how Republicans are generally viewed as the the um, the party of crime and punishment and, and what they've done. You know, rather effectively, um, you know, is take an issue like the bail law. And, you know, you know, really kind of misconstrue it, um, take it out of context and place all the blame of whatever increases in crime that are occurring on this one thing. And um, it has been really tough to overcome for Democrats. Um, right. And, and it's been tough to overcome for down ballot Democrats on Long Island. Um, you know, um, I, you know, Kathy Hochul has had to deal with it. Um, and, you know, even in the last um, legislative session, they passed um, some pretty significant changes to that bail law under pressure um, from a lot of interests that were, um, you know, taking the issue and misconstruing it. Um, I tend to think that the bail law is going to age well, right? Uh, because at the end of the day, there were um, uh, there was a significant problem of of people languishing in jail awaiting trial. Um, and it was mostly black and brown people. And, and um, you know, uh, that's the problem that they were trying to solve with the bail law. Um, it, you know, um, uh, over the course of history, we're going to find that bail is not the cause for an increase in crime. Crime is increasing across the country in, in, in cities and states across the country. Um, you know, the Republicans have been very effective at making this the, the issue to pin on Democrats. And, you know, um, you know, it's been a challenge. What about the economy? I was at Trader Joe's, for example, and the woman next to me was complaining about the cost of blueberries and how it had gone up during the past week. And I thought there goes the election. How is the economy going to factor <laughs> into this? Um, John, what do you think? The economy is always a factor in every election, right? I mean, especially in Westchester County. I mean, you know, Jake, you and I have been on races together where you know, it's like it, we put out a poll. What are the top issues? OK, taxes. OK, what else? Right. What are the you know? Um, so people are always 
you know, thinking about their pocketbooks, um, you know, in, a, in an environment where it's we're approaching a recession and we're, we're you know, we're all feeling the effects of inflation. Um, yeah, it's going to be much more pronounced. So, it, you know, it's a very serious um, uh, issue that that any candidate is going to need to is going to need to tackle. Jake. Yeah, I mean, it, it usually comes down to pocketbook concerns. And it's like, you know, when Clinton ran 92, it's the economy stupid type of thing. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate because the president and the Congress, for the most part, do not get to control what happens in the economy. You know, they yes, the fiscal policy has an effect there on tax rates and which affects consumption and investment and all that. But, you know, this is largely a monetary policy thing. And Congress doesn't control that. Presidents of either party don't control that. And to say nothing of the fact that had a couple of things. One, it's like no one should be that surprised that after like decades of low interest rates and printing gazillions of dollars and um, then giving thousands of dollars to millions of families across the country, that inflation is going to be, I would say, Inflation that's higher than usual would be the effect. That seems like common sense. The unfortunate point is that no one realizes that's kind of out of the control of the president. And the other piece is this. If we hadn't had any of those things happening, the critiques and the negative consequences would have been greater than what's happening right now. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, But so that's kind of like the curse that the Democrats have to carry right now. The economy is in a weird place, uh, although with some factors it's not. But the economy is in a weird place for a lot of people. And um, unfortunately, people are going to blame the party in power. And that's Democrats right now. And, you know, at the end of the day, what you're concerned about, you know, is the money in your wallet. Right. So what are the winning issues that Governor Hochul and Democrats down ballot should be hammering right now with two weeks to go? Jake? Yeah, I mean, look, so they- John, whoever, just jump in. Yeah, I'll jump in. So, you know, the Democratic Party has had a string of pretty massive victories, right, at the national level over the course of the last six months or so, right? Um. You know, the biggest climate change legislation that we've ever passed, right? Massive changes to healthcare and the tax code that would theoretically favor the mass, uh, massive infrastructure investment, um, you know, uh, the CHIPS bill, veterans healthcare, I mean, you name it, a whole bunch of things that, that are all very, the first gun reform bill in 30 years that didn't go nearly far enough, but whatever, you know, massive pieces of legislation that individually were were massively popular for the most part with the electorate, Um, voters have short attention spans. That's a problem. The other piece is this. So what I'm getting at is you can talk about that stuff. People may remember, maybe they don't remember it. Maybe they never knew about to begin with, but people always want to know, well, not what did you do for me? What are you going to do for me? Right? Like they don't care. That's great. You passed all these fancy schmancy bills that did things right? My blueberries are too expensive, right? That's what they care about. So what Democrats should be conveying, look, you always want to segment your communication because not everyone cares about the same thing, but frankly, the people who are in the middle here, the persuadable voters, again, it's crime and it's the economy that they're most concerned about. 
And if you can talk to them about a financial message, communicate a financial message that talks about taking the burden off of people and a plan for the future, that's what they should be doing. They should still be talking about, to certain parts of the electorate, the the dangers of the MAGA wing of the Republican Party. That's still something that needs to be communicated. Um, But you have to also provide a compelling positive vision Right. And again, if people's minds are fully soaked in the economic frame, then you got to talk to them on those terms. Right. John. Look, I think that um, relatability is really important. I think that voters want someone, you know, especially at a governor position, someone that they can relate to and identify with. Right. And um, someone that they, you know, believe is is competent and shares their values. I I, I really think that that's very important. I, obviously, they don't want someone who's, you know, like look, Kathy Hochul is a relatable person. Um, you know, she's demonstrated, um, you know, competence in in governing um, in a very short time period, right? And you know, politically as well, like you know, has been able to su- consolidate political support for herself and become you know, the the titular head of the Democratic Party, you know, within the course of less than a year. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I, I mean, I think that's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, I, you know, again, I, I just think that voters, you know, want someone that they can relate to and someone who shares their values when they learn more about Zeldin, they're going to realize that he doesn't. You know, and and so, you know, I think you need to point that out, too. You know, here's who this guy is and here's who I am. Politics is personal. You want to go right. have a drink. You have a, want to go have a drink with somebody. I have to ask this question. How does media coverage factor into the race? The media loves a horse race. They've also adapted a narrative about crime and the economy that to me, in many cases, sounds like Zeldin talking points. How is this factoring into everything? Jake? Yeah, I mean, I think the media's coverage of politics in general is is quite bad. The incessant coverage of, you know, the polling numbers doesn't help anyone figure out what they should care about or how they should feel about something or how they do feel about something. Doesn't teach them anything about policy. It's kind of a it's kind of a BS way to 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 dissect something that's very, very important. It's not like this is not like a game of pickup basketball. It's, it's you know, who's going to make the laws and regulations that control our daily lives. Um, look, the crime is always going to lead in the news, right? If it bleeds, it leads, right? Um, that's always been the case. Uh, and the economic concerns, again, because they're top of mind with people, right? The, the media wants to wants to feed to people what they think the people want to hear about. And if that's the number one issue, that's what you're going to get. Unfortunately, it does not seem to really help the Democratic Party at this moment, again, because we're the party in power, right? We control both houses of Congress, we control the presidency, we control the governorship, we control the state legislature, right? Um, You know, I just, I think that's an unfortunate side effect. I think, you know, if you could draw the media from scratch, you would, you would draw up the, an industry that would focus on the merits of policy and mm-hmm. take real substantive hard looks and almost do PBS style documentaries on things, but no one has the attention span for that and no advertiser would pay for that. So yeah. here, we we are. Are. here we are. 
It's the difference right. about giving people what they need as opposed to what they want, right? You know, I think that as far as media coverage on a state, you know, I, I you know, media coverage is really influential in a, you know, a presidential election. In a state-wide election, you know, there's such a shrinking media landscape right now. Um, that there are only a few select reporters that are that are really covering this in a real way. Um, and it's segmented by market. So you've got your Buffalo political reporter, you've got your, you know, your Hudson Valley political reporters, which at this point, you know, with the journal news disappearing, I, you know, I mean, who is that? It's a crisis. Uh, yeah, it, it is a crisis. Right. And then, you know, in New York City, you've got your political reporters also. So I think what where it matters is with the insider audience, right? Mm -hmm. The political insiders who follow this, who read, you know, who follow those reporters on Twitter and who read these stories regularly. And they, you know, you know, that's who you're communicating with when you're, when you're, you know, trying to push stories to those reporters. Mm -hmm. um, you know, beyond that, you know, Joe and Jane voter um, in, you know, New Rochelle or Bronxville. I don't know that like a New York post story or even, you know, a, an entire, you know, year of coverage against a governor, mm -hmm. um, you know, that might move the needle. But, you know, um, uh, I don't know that a daily news story planted by the Zeldin campaign moves that voter. You understand what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, uh, you know. There, there's, some, there's something else here in the media piece, which is as the, the availability of, of independent local news outlets dies away, Right. You get more and more the nationalization of politics. Right. So, right. That's you right. know, people there are people out there that know the name of let's take a voter in Westchester. Right? There's a whole bunch of people who watch MSNBC all day long and they they know the name of, you know, Congressman Adam Schiff before right. they know the name of their own local state assembly member. Right. Or I'm maybe even saying, their own congressman or what district they live in. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but, you know, what that means is that the coverage of politics just becomes a, a, a reflection mostly of the national back and forth. Mm -hmm. And that's also why you're not seeing a lot of nuance in the type of candidates you have really in, in, in either party, especially the Republican Party. Right. Mm -hmm. There are not a lot of Rockefeller Republicans right? There's not a lot of even Mitt Romney Republicans, right? It's a lot of MAGA Republicans right now. Uh, and that's just a reflection of the nationalization of everything. And media coverage is part of that. And a lot of, not a, John's point, not a lot of nuance about things at the state and local level. Um, anywho. Yeah, it matters. It matters with the, with the, with the, like, that's right. You know, I, I think, what also happens with the media is it it turns into this feedback loop. Mm -hmm. So right, so crime crime is the is the issue of the year, right? Um, and so every reporter has to scoop the other one out on something on crime, right? right. And you know what does this crime issue mean for Hochul? And you know this campaign said this, and so it just be, it just sort of reinforces itself. And then crime, you know, crime is the top issue. Everyone's talking about it, and so you know. Um, and again, I think that's a function of like this, you know, they're really, if you look at the media today and, and what's available in New York um, uh, and you compare it to 15 years ago, 
Um, it's so, it's so much smaller. Different. Yeah. So it can we talk about the enthusiasm factor and who, who do you think is more motivated Republicans or Democrats, John? Well, I don't think Democrats are motivated. I can't, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know much about, you know, I'm not in rooms with the Republican party. So I, you know, I don't know. What, <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what their enthusiasm is. Um, you know, I, I do know this, that the dream never dies for Republicans. You know, I, they, they, you know, they look at the Pataki years and the Giuliani years as the golden years of the Republican Party in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that all sort of died when the, they lost the state Senate, you know, and that was the last sort of vestige of Republican power. Um, now that there's this, you know, now that Zeldin is quote unquote surging, all of a sudden it's like, you know, game on. So I do think that has created some enthusiasm for Republicans. You have the Republican Governors Association investing in New York. That's remarkable, Um, right? And so, um, you know, so yeah, if I'm, you know, if I can speak for the whole Democratic Party, we've all got to kind of wake up and, and, um, you know, and do something. Jake, do you share that sentiment? Yeah, largely. I mean, there there is still there's still a little bit of an enthusiasm gap between Republicans and Democrats. If you look at recent data, depending on the, the data you're looking at and when was it from September or October, whatever, you're looking anywhere from a couple points to a 10 point uh, advantage for Republicans on enthusiasm. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, that's largely because they're the party out of power and that tends to gin up people. People, it's a natural feature of human psychology to to kind of rally around thing something that you oppose as opposed to something you support right and so that's not i don't think that's unique i think a place like new york state what's unique is kind of at least in the public realm how close the gubernatorial race has uh is appearing right and that again a function of an enthusiasm gap a function of the bad environment that Democrats are unfortunately playing in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, look, there's a lot of Democrats who, you know, if you look at Democratic primary voters, yes, the economy matters, even crime still matters to them, right? But um, among those concerns are obviously choice, but even more so in some cases is democracy, right? Mm-hmm. And right you know, um, protecting the integrity of our elections and protecting just our democratic way of government. Um, Those items were severely igniting democratic enthusiasm over the summer, right? Uh, Some of that has waned a little bit. And again, as we get into later in the fall, the the economic news just has not been great. The market continues to not do a good job. The blueberries are too expensive in the supermarket. Mortgage rates are too high, yada, yada, yada. Um, And that will kill a little bit of the party's enthusiasm. So I do think Republicans, by and large, are a little bit more ginned up than Democrats are, at least nationally. Uh And the other thing is this. If you look at historic returns in New York State, you know, uh, Andrew Cuomo's worst year on the top of the ticket was I think 2014. And that was a really bad year for Democrats. And what wound up happening, Andrew Cuomo obviously won, 
but he won with a smaller margin than in 2010 and in 2018. And what did you see in 2014? You saw massive Democratic lack of enthusiasm, which accounted for the disparity between 2010, 14, and 18. And then what you saw was a lot of down-ballot Democrats losing seats. So we lost seats in, um, I don't remember which congressional seats we lost that year, but we certainly lost a whole lot of seats in the state Senate. Mm. The state Senate traditionally in New York being the local, the state level of office that has been the most marginal, right, for Democrats. So again, back to kind of the beginning of the conversation, the concern on the enthusiasm piece here is I don't believe necessarily too much of a factor for Hochul, will she win or lose? I think it is a very, very crucial factor for people down ballot. Yeah, and we really, we have so many competitive congressional races and state Senate races, and, and you know, that's that's really not gonna be good, especially when we're looking at control of Congress. So I want you to grab your crystal ball. What do you think is gonna be the big surprise on election night, John? Oh boy, the big surprise on election night. Yeah. Um, well, let's think about that. <laughs> Jake, do you know? Jake, you go. I don't know that there's, are we sticking to New York State? We're sticking that, can we do national as well? If sure. we're sticking to New York, okay, well, if in New York State, I don't frankly think that there's going to be too many surprises, at least not surprises for people who are paying attention. I think that Kathy Hochul is going to be the governor-elect. I think that Tish James is going to be the attorney general-elect. Um, Chuck Schumer will obviously win re-election. I do not think the margins for the, the first two or even all three of those candidates is going to be what Democrats would like to see. Right. And again, like it's important not to take anything for granted and people need to show up and 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 volunteer and knock on doors and phone making everything down ballot. I think it's going to be what we're expecting, which is we're probably going to lose um, a state Senate seat here and there. We're probably going to lose a House seat, um, the House seats that are marginal that we don't hold. I think it's going to be very tough to to win one of those. Um, nationally, I think Democrats will keep control of the U.S. Senate. I think we're going to lose the House of Representatives, unfortunately, but I think we keep control of the U.S. Senate. So that would be my surprise. Gotcha. John? So I'm just really bad at crystal balls. I need to return my crystal ball. To we the need to get you a crystal, crystal ball. ball we're going to do a GoFundMe to get you a crystal ball now. No, it's just, <laughs> I'll ruin it. I've just, I've never been good. My, I, you know, my, I put placed my first sports bet ever last weekend and lost it and i'm never doing it again there you um, go i was, I, was pressured last last week? I mean you know there there's surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well so look I, yeah go ahead i think that you know i agree with jake you know the question that i i think you know i'm not going to make any predictions but i would say what i'm going to be watching for is really like you know our new york state delegation to congress that's really what i'm looking at you know and that's where i think we may there's some question marks there may be some surprises um you know and you know and so that's what i'm going to be paying a lot of attention to um you know on election day 
briefly, probably the most important question, uh, what can we do to help get out the vote? Jake, what do people need to do, especially since we need to really you know, run up those numbers in Westchester? What would be your advice to people? Um, a little bit of volunteering can go a long way. And if enough people devote even just a few hours between now and November 8th, that'll have a meaningful impact. Sometimes people think it's really burdensome thing to go knock on doors or or you know, be part of a phone bank or anything, or hand out flyers at a Metro North stop or something. Uh, they'll probably find it if they do it with a friend, um, family member, neighbor, that is actually more fun than they assumed it would be. And again, if you're only spending a few hours, it's not that big of a burden to you. Uh, and if you're one of many people doing it, a few hours here and there really, really adds up to a lot of person-to-person -person contact. And, and person-to-person -person contact is key. You know, these campaigns are going to have uh, television advertisements and and direct mail pieces hitting, and people will be inundated with ads. But the human-to-human -human contact is really, really important. And so I would say, go find um, a campaign, either that you know, in a in your own district or in a neighboring district that really needs help, and go knock on some doors or do a phone bank, and you'll probably enjoy it more than you think. John. You know what? That's so important. I, I think so much of um, so much of you know political activism and and voter attitudes come from just people talking to the others in their networks. And and you know you're at a dinner party. You know, hey, can you believe this guy running for governor? You know, wants to ban abortion. You know, I mean, or you know, um, right? I mean, like a conversation like that is really important. Um, you know, I, I would be having those conversations. I'd be going out volunteering for the campaigns, um, pulling out the votes. And then on election day or, or early, you know, early voting, um, you know, go out and vote yourself and, you know, bring your friends, bring, bring, you know, family members, follow up with them, make sure they voted. Um, you know, that stuff matters. It does. Um, John, Jake, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see what happens. We'll see what the Crystal ball, the crystal ball is uh, right or wrong, but uh, again, you. it's really important that everybody does get out and votes and that we try and, you know, get the vote out here in Westchester. And thank you so much for spending time with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. Be sure to vote. The election is Tuesday, November 8th. Early voting starts on Saturday, October 29th and runs through Sunday, November the 6th. You can find more information on how to get involved on our website at indivisiblewestchester.org.